0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going through Acts. Uh, chapter 1, and a little bit in chapter 1, and then into chapter 2, um, and just taking a look at Pentecost Sunday. But before that, I would, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. You can keep your finger there, John chapter 20, and then we'll go flip back over to the, to the book of Acts. So John chapter 20, and beginning with verse 19. So John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus uh, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You think about that. Here, this is the first time, at least as John's recorded, the first time that Jesus has uh, shown up or you know, He was resurrected, he, he appeared to his disciples. They've been gathered together, uh, it says, for fear of the Jews. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is there in their midst. And they see his side where the spear went in there. They see the nail prints in his hands. And they they, they see he's risen. And, And then Jesus does this interesting thing. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, think of that voice, receive the Holy Spirit. That is the same voice when the storm was raging on the Sea of Galilee. And he said, be still. And the storm completely stopped at the command of his word. And it freaked out the disciples. They're like, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? It's the same voice that spoke to a blind man and said, receive your sight. It's the same voice that spoke to the paralytic and said, rise up and walk. In fact, it's even the same voice that said to the dead, Lazarus come forth, the same voice that spoke all those things. And now here, Jesus is standing before his disciples in his resurrected glory. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you recall earlier in Jesus's ministry, there was a Jewish leader by the name of Nicodemus that went and met with Jesus at night. He was the original Nick at night. And anyways, uh, that's a bad joke. It's way old. but <laughs> I always like saying it anyways. You know, the older you get, you repeat cheesy jokes all the time. So you get used to that when you're around an old person like me. Anyways, so Nicodemus met with Jesus at night. And, and he's asking Jesus these questions. And Jesus says to him, he kind of cuts to the chase, And Jesus says to him, most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So think about that. When were the disciples born again? When did they come to faith in Christ Jesus? When were they born again? I personally believe it's right here in John chapter 20, what I just read here. It's after the crucifixion. Jesus has already paid the price for sin, the penalty for sin. He's died and he's risen again. Sin and death has been crushed. This is his first appearance to the disciples. And if I am right, this at this point, Jesus, they're, they're born again at this point. And when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, man, the Holy Spirit entered him, them, I should say. You know that reminds me back in Genesis chapter two verse seven when Jesus, uh, excuse me, when 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 uh, it says the Lord God now, John chapter one tells us that it's Jesus who was created, but in John chapter or excuse me Genesis chapter two verse seven it says and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Just as God breathed into Adam and gave him life, Jesus breathed on the disciples and they became spiritually alive. I believe at that point, born again, that event that occurred that's recorded in John chapter 20. Now, later on in Paul's epistles, in two places he mentions this. In Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, and in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Uh, Paul says that the Holy Spirit, he is a sign, or excuse me, he's a seal of our salvation. In other words, he's a deposit or a guarantee of your salvation. So when you and when I receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we're born again, we are given the Holy Spirit at that time. He's dwelling inside of us. He's a seal. He's a guarantee of our salvation. So going back to John chapter 20... I believe not only were the the disciples born again at that point, but they received the Holy Spirit prior to what occurred in Pentecost. So what happened on Pentecost Sunday? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. We'll be looking at a few verses there, and then we're going to go into Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptized, it comes from the word bapto. It means to dip or to immerse or to submerge for a religious pur- purpose, to overwhelm or to saturate. That's, that's really what that word baptism means. And so, the disciples, they stayed in Jerusalem. If we continue reading uh, verse uh, chapter 1, they're, they're, they're meeting in the upper room, and they're gathered together and praying. Well, let's go down to um, Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, had fully come, excuse me, they were all with one accord and in one place. Pentecost, it literally means 50 days. And what it's referring to, it's the number of days from the offering of the barley harvest at the, uh, the excuse me, it refers to the number of the of days from when the barley sheaf was offered at the beginning of Passover. They were to count 50 days. And then on the 50th day, that was the Feast of Pente- uh, Pentecost. In the intertestamental period, which is between... Uh, the the Old Testament and when the New Testament uh, was written. During that period of time, Pentecost was regarded by the Jewish people as the anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The giving of the law at Mount Sinai, that is detailed in uh, Leviticus chapter 23. It's known as the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks, part of that festival, part of that feast, the Jews were to bring and they were to bake two loaves of bread. And what the Jews believed is that this commemorated the giving of the two tablets of the the Ten Commandments. But interestingly, and as we've gone through Leviticus, maybe you've read it before, those two loaves of bread, very interestingly, were to be baked with leaven just about every other offering was to be unleavened, but those two loaves of bread were to be baked with leaven. Why? Well, I, don't, I can't say why as far as under the old covenant. I don't know. But I do believe prophetically that also looked forward to the birth of the church. And the two loaves of bread would represent the church being made up of two two groups of people, the Jews, the believing Jews, and the believing Gentiles. Why leaven? Well, because we're all sinners saved by grace in the church. What a beautiful picture. Well, in Exodus chapter 32, it describes when Moses was given the law from uh, God gave him the law. And when and, and we read through several chapters where Moses is on Mount Sinai. This period or this occasion, uh, it really is the birth of the nation of Israel when they were at Mount Sinai and they received the law and the commandments from God. That's when the nation of Israel was born. And you probably remember the story or maybe if you watched the Ten Commandments, then you know the story, too. Kind of a little bit different, but uh, dramatized, I'm sure. But as Moses is up on, the, on Mount Sinai for 40 days, they're like, man, where is he? He's been gone for all this time. Maybe he died on the mountain. And so uh, they turn to his brother Aaron, and they say, make us a, make us a god that we can worship. And so Aaron collects all their earrings and bracelets and all their gold jewelry. He melts it down and he fashions it into a golden calf. And you guys, I'm sure you know that story. And so they begin worshiping at the foot of this golden calf. This is the God that's delivered you from slavery in Egypt. And as. Moses is coming down off of Mount Sinai. He hears this noise, this tumult in the camp, and Joshua's like, "What is? What's going on?" And Joshua says, "Sounds like there's a party going on." I'm paraphrasing heavily here, Um, but but when they get down there, here they've made this golden calf and they're worshiping it. And Moses basically draws a line in the sand, and and the tribe of Levi—he was he was of the tribe of Levi—and so the the Levites part of his clan, they come over to with Moses, and Moses tells the men of of the tribe of Levi, he says, strap on your swords and kill those that are worshiping the idols. And so they go through the camp there with the sword, and at the end of chapter 32, it tells us that 3,000 men of the children of Israel died. So the giving of the law the birth of the nation of Israel, 3,000 men died. Well, I'm going to read what happened on Pentecost Sunday, continuing on verse uh, verse 2 in chapter 2 of Acts. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke vapor of smoke, excuse me. the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held, for it, held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." "'Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you "'of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, "'and his tomb is with us to this day. "'Therefore, being a prophet, "'and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him "'that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, "'he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, "'he, foreseeing this, "'spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ.' That his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. That includes you and I, by the way, sitting here or watching at home. Centuries later, if you call upon the name of the Lord, put your trust in him for your salvation, you will be saved. Well, Continuing in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Interesting. Back at Mount Sinai, with the giving of the law, 3,000 people died. The law brings death. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 10, he's speaking about the law, and he says, and the commandment, which was to bring life, I found, to bring death. It wasn't that the law was bad. Paul will say in his letter to the Romans, it's not that it's evil. But what the law did is it reveals my inability to keep the law. It reveals my sin, and therefore, it condemns me. And that's what he means by the law brings death. And so the giving of the law, there was 3,000 people that died. We go fast forward to Pentecost Sunday, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there's 3,000 people that are added to the church. What an amazing thing. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What a beautiful picture. So what, what changed for, uh, on Pentecost Sunday for the disciples? Man, I'd say just about everything changed for them. Jesus said, you'll receive power, and you'll be witnesses to me. And you recall what Peter was like before Pentecost? How he was hiding, how he was—he was afraid to admit that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, that he was one of them. He denied Christ three times. You, you know those stories—the Peter before Pentecost—that was who he was, and now, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up with boldness, and he gives a message, and three thousand people respond to that message. So we see in his ministry now and in the ministry of the disciples as we continue reading through the book of Acts. As evidenced here in chapter 2, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are poured out on the disciples. We see here that now ministry is effective because of the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing is that after you get past this portion of scripture and you continue reading through in the book of Acts, there'll be places where you'll read they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just once. And we read it here in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with, an, uh, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Excuse me. But later on in chapter 4 verse 8, We read again, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. That word filled with the Holy Spirit, that word filled, by the way, it's the word eplisthen, and it means to be filled or to be full, which kind of makes sense, but it means to be wholly imbued or completely permeated affected or influenced with or by something. And in this case, they were completely permeated and affected and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Not only were those two places that I mentioned, Acts 2, verse 4, and Acts 4, verse 8, where it mentions they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but later on in verse 31 of chapter 4, It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul, who his name was Saul before uh, before his conversion. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. He's on his way in Acts chapter 9 to uh, Damascus, to Syria to uh, bring back followers of the way. That's what the church was called in that day, the followers of the way. To bring them back to Jerusalem, to punish them. Because uh, the Jewish people believed that they were, it was a heresy. They were a heretical uh, uh, offshoot, uh, you know, a cult, basically. And so uh, Paul, Saul at the time, is on his way to persecute Christians. But he met the Lord Jesus, or so say the Lord Jesus met him on the way, knocked him off of his horse, blinded his eyes, and spoke to him. Well, Paul, Saul at the time, goes to, continues on to Damascus, but he's not, he's not there to persecute Christians. He's there, he's blinded, he fasts and he prays, he spends all this time uh, before the Lord in blindness. And then God spoke to a man named Ananias. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent, uh, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Saul, who we know later as Paul, When Ananias prayed for him to receive his sight, he was also filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. But now, you go further on into Paul's ministry. In Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 12, I'll read this to you. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished, at the teaching of the Lord." Here, Paul was prayed on to receive, to, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And later on in his ministry, we read, and Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, many people believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time thing. It's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I believe it's not so much an event as a condition. It's being baptized being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, people can be filled with all different kinds of things, including believers. In Acts chapter 3, verse 10, and uh, this is the same Greek word that I've been, about being filled. Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 10, it says, people who witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were filled with wonder and amazement. So what that means is that I mean, it just they were so full of wonder and amazement, it affected their whole being. It, it shook them to the core, we might say. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28, it says, again, it's that same word, filled. Those in the synagogue were filled with wrath at Jesus' words to them. The Jewish leaders of the synagogue, they were filled with wrath. In other words, they were overcome with wrath. It was completely affecting their whole being. It influenced what they did, how they reacted. In Luke chapter 5, verse 26, again, the same word. It says the people were filled with fear when they saw Jesus raise up the paralytic man. In Luke chapter 6, verse 11, the scribes and the Pharisees were filled with rage at Jesus. And and how did it influence them? They were plotting as a result of that, how could we kill him? In Acts chapter 13, verse 45, the Jews at Antioch were filled with envy of Paul and Barnabas because so many people were putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And so they were were filled. A person could be filled with envy. And when you're filled with envy, man, it it influences how you respond. It influences what you do, what you say, what you think, how you perceive things. If you're filled with envy. In Acts chapter 19, verse 29, it's when Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, when they were in uh, Ephesus and There's a riot that takes place. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, it says, the Greeks in Ephesus were filled with confusion. You know, There are people that hated Paul, and they they wanted to kill Paul. And and so they're dragging Paul into this theater. And all these people see all this commotion going on. And they're like, what's going on? Something's going on. Let's go see what's going on. And pretty soon, there's a riot going on. Man, we've been seeing that lately, haven't we, in our nation? Uh, not too far from here, up in the Twin Cities. There's people that are filled with rage. And it's influencing what they do. It's affecting them. There are people who are filled with confusion. They, it's like, man, I don't know what's going on, but they're, they're, they're part of it. You know, that's that mob mentality when they have a large group of people and someone starts doing something stupid, pretty soon everyone starts doing things that are crazy. Cars get flipped over, windows get broken, things get set on fire. It's, it's crazy. It's pandemonium. People can be filled with confusion. People can be filled with fear, fear of death fear of catching covid-19 and and it, it it influences how you how you do anything people can be filled with rage again we're seeing that going on right now so that word filled means to be permeated affected influenced with or by someone i know I would rather be filled with influence by the person of the Holy Spirit than by any of these other things. But we can be filled with different things. I'd rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, a word to those of you that are born-again believers in Jesus Christ, whether you're listening online or whether you're here in this room. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Again, he's a seal. He's a sign. He's a seal of your salvation. He's a guarantee. He's a deposit. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. However, Paul says something kind of interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So even though I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me as a born-again believer, I can still grieve the Spirit dwelling inside of me. You see, if you're saved, it's not a question of if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. It's a question of, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And what I mean by that, because everybody has different connotations of what I'm, sp- what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is he, the person of the Holy Spirit, influencing your life? Is he so filled your heart that, that you just you respond to what the Spirit is leading you to do? Or are you filled with envy? Are you filled with rage? Are you filled with, you know, whatever, confusion? Is he influencing your life? I know a question that probably is on many people's minds. Well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, do I start shaking and speaking in another voice? Or start talking in King James English, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, and then swinging on a shanty. You know, what, what, what is it? How do I know that I'm filled with the Spirit? A very simple test. Look at the fruit in your life. Look at the fruit in your life. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians five, chapter twenty-two, and uh, chapter five, verse twenty-two and verse twenty-three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, peace, long suffering, which another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-controlled. Listen, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the fruit that's going to be evidenced in your life. Now. You know, I became a Christian back in the '70s, and uh, growing up as a believer in the '80s. And I don't know, I don't know, if, I don't know if it was, you know, isolated to the '80s. But I remember a certain point in my life that was the big question that people would ask you: Are you a spirit-filled believer? Are you a spirit-filled believer? And uh, you know, again, that has all kinds of different connotations. You know, and but you know, I think in those days. At least around the people that I was, that was saying it It was kind of like code word, you know? Are you charismatic? Do you speak in tongues? You know? Do you do do this? Are you a spirit-filled believer? And then you kind of give the other guy a wink, like, yeah, I am. You know? You're like, okay, you're cool. You know? It's like it's like this is a secret group within Christianity. Listen, it's not. If you're a spirit-filled believer, it's not. Are the gifts manifested in your life? But is the fruit of the Spirit manifested in your life? It's not a question of the gifts. It's a, it's a question of the fruit. Because listen, the Corinthian church, they were operating with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They prophesied. They, they did all kinds of things in uh, the church in Corinth. And yet, if you read Paul's letter to them, they were a very carnal church. So it's not an issue of the gifts of the Spirit. The criteria, if you're a Spirit-filled believer, is are you you controlled? Are you influenced by the Spirit? And is the fruit of that the fruit of the Spirit? Here, that's in Galatians 5.22. It's really simple. That's how you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the flip side of that. How do I know if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? Again, look at the fruit. What's the fruit? The Bible calls it not fruit. It calls it the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, that same passage, only a few verses earlier. Verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So if I'm going through my day, and uh, you know, some of these, it's not like, you know, like so I have an outburst of wrath. I get, you know, just fly off the handle, and and I get angry. Am I walking in the Holy Spirit? You know, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't think so at that point. <laughs> I, I can know that. I, I mean, I know it. I know it in my own life as a believer. You know, there, I, I do things, and then I go, man, I, I. The Spirit convicts me, and it's a sp- still small voice. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in the flesh. I'm responding to this incident in the flesh. So there are times when I am not filled with the Spirit, there are times when I'm filled with dawn. What can I do about it? You don't have to remain in that place. You know, that's what I love about springtime. You know, we drove back from uh, Michigan yesterday, and, you know, we're going through all these. Well we were in forest, part of it, but then you get to all the dairy land you know and there's the cows and everything. that's one thing. But then you get, you get down to where the corn's growing here in God's country, Minnesota. And uh, you know it's like you see the little you just start seeing a light, kind of a light green growing on the, on, the, on the dirt, you know and in the wintertime that dirt's just brown you know or snow covered. but, but now you see this little kind of a just a green, almost a glow where the, the plants are starting to come up and you go, man. New life, man, a new crop. It's exciting. That's exciting for me. I get excited with simple things like that. Why did I bring up corn? Oh, I know why. You don't have to remain in that cave. Uh, you know, corn. It's a it's spring. It's a new year. Maybe maybe as a farmer you had a bad year, a bad crop, or you know something happened, a storm wiped out your corn or whatever. You know whatever happened. It's like, okay, I've got another chance. For another crop, and you see, and you start seeing it growing up. Well, that's you're in my life as a believer. You don't have to remain in that place of, of being in the flesh. What do you do? You confess your sin. You just say, Lord, I, I've been walking in the flesh. Will you please forgive me? Repent of your sin, and then ask the Lord to fill you afresh, and He'll do it. And then, of course, you walk or live your day because it says walk according to the Spirit. But that really means just live out your day being filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit influence how you respond, what you think about, what you do. Let me read a little bit more here. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust, excuse me, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law." So what was Pentecost all about? It was about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you saw, as you read through the book of Acts, you see a visible, tangible change in the lives of the apostles. And it's the fruit. Of their ministry. It's the effectiveness of their ministry. And I would venture to say every every believer here in this room and every believer that's listening online, we all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. None of us want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And yet, if we're honest, we know that we do once in a while from time to time. But I love what it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And each day is a new opportunity to live your life for Christ. So you find yourself starting getting into the flesh. Hey, once you recognize it, man, just repent of it. Confess it, repent of it, and then ask the Lord to fill you a flesh, fill you afresh. And he'll do that. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's go ahead and pray. And uh, I want to pray for you.